life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm gonna change that tune. When I'm back on top, back on top of June. Welcome back to the podcast on life. Today, I'll be speaking about the ways people think about what makes a good life. So each episode of this podcast is going to have four segments. Uh, The first is going to be a short story about my experiences with the topic, whatever the topic's going to be about on life. I don't want to speak about things that are beyond my experience, because what good is that? There are a lot of people that speak about things beyond their experience that doesn't have that hasn't done the world any good. So I'm going to talk about things from my experience because that's a little bit more informed. I'll share some stories about what's going on with that and and how I think about things. And then I'll talk about an example from somebody else because, uh, you know, maybe a person I've known, somebody who actually it's definitely going to be about a person that I have known before to give observations about people who lived in ways that are, in my estimation, uh, good lives, and and talk about what I observed about that. And we're going to talk about this depending on how, depending upon how you define a good life. Some of these people might not meet what a lot of people think of it as a good life, but I think that that's part of the point of this: is that there's so many different ways to live a good life. You got to see all the potential options to be able to make some good information, and and making discerning the differences between a good life and kind of a life that is appeared good on the outside, but may not be good on the inside is something we'll have to get into because that's really important. Before we get started about that thing though, is one of the distinctions that I think is important to make when we start talking about things is the difference between discerning something and making a judgment about something. So today's age is full about this, like, don't judge me stuff. And you know, everybody's full of judgments, Uh, you know, uh, that's like, everybody's got opinions or judgments about different people and all that. I'm going to use the word discernment instead of judgment, even though I think judgment is actually a very useful word to use. Because if you make a judgment about something, then you can act on it. The same thing's true for the word discernment. So I'm going to try to use discernment as a way to separate the connotations of judgment, which are now fairly negative in our current society, to talk about the discernment of how to move forward. So discernment usually means being able to see through the fuzz or the haze or the distractions to actually get to the core value or property of a certain thing. So if you're going to be able to discern whether a tree is a palm tree or an oak tree, that means you have been able to understand what makes a palm tree and an oak tree and you can see the differences between the two and why that would be important is a palm tree would give you coconuts to eat or drink and an oak tree would not not that those two actually reside together in the same place usually but this is just a off the cuff example so that's really the idea is like we're going to try to discern in this podcast what makes a good life after we do that i'll talk a little bit about kind of what can be learned from these experiences that i've shared and the ideas that uh, are present in them that may not be explicit. So I'm trying to make some of the stories into explicit learning and maybe tie that into some research or some other kind of stuff about what makes a good life or philosophy. After that, I'll make some conclusions. So like, what is it that we can say that we can take away from this conversation 
terms of how to think about what makes a good life. In terms of getting started, and then from my perspective, I've had a lot of experiences with thinking about a good life. I mean, the reason that I'm, you know, the reason anybody wants to share something, if it's not just for their own self or their self-gratification, uh, is because there's something that they've experienced that they feel like is worth sharing with others. That's really what this is about. So for me, a lot of the work that I've done on what makes a good life has been kind of a, a search for addressing experience or a, a kind of need that happened when I was really little. So and this might resonate with some of you, it may not. Um, when I was about five or six, I had this very strange experience where I guess it was kind of the uh, my my little brain was starting to think about the role of infinity um, or what the vastness of time and space actually meant and you know I think it started with just thinking about what was it like before I was born as a little five-year-old you know most people talk about things that happened before you're born because you haven't been around that long um, and not knowing what that was is is kind of a, you know, if you really deeply feel that, like there your lack of conscious existence or memory of conscious existence, if you believe in some other different kinds of uh, religious concepts, what regardless, just as a five year old who didn't grow up with any particular religion, it was kind of a freaky thing to think about that there was this infinity that existed before I became conscious of it. And then there's this, there's going to be this infinity after I die. And I had already been kind of exposed to death, but, you know, great grandparents or, you know, people who were great aunts or so it was, but it was the concept of it that was like really hit home to this kind of vast kind of black emptiness of what human experience was. And that was like very, very scary as a five-year-old and a six-year-old. And it felt this like, you know, uh, kind of this empty feeling that was not pleasant. In fact, it was a combination of scary and sad, all of these things that as a little five-year-old who had all kinds of energy, I was generally very, very happy. It was a very scary feeling. I think that's the, you know, the, the feeling that like stuck around. But what also happened uh, when I felt that feeling was like this blackness didn't have to be that way this empty blackness, like there's something there going on inside of me that was this scary, maybe kind of metaphysical or, you know, spiritual experience of recognizing the vastness of the universe and how little I was in it and how scary that is or how sad that could be, but that that doesn't have to be the case. And so that was kind of like the search for finding something that could fulfill that could bring a light to that empty blackness inside was kind of the start of, you know, I didn't know that at the time. And as a five or six year old, it was just like something, I don't even think I talked about it with my parents. It was just something that kind of like happened that scared me. And then occasionally at different times during the day or different times at night, it would pop up again and I'd be like, Oh, and then it would go away because I get distracted about other things, uh, you know, playing sports or uh, hanging out with friends or, you know, playing imaginary games, you know, it's five or six, right? So it's like for a five or six year old, you know, maybe a lot. Uh, and I know that there are other people who have that. I know that there's a 
the son of one of my good friends had that same experience. We talked about it and we talked about it for a little bit. And, you know, I think there are other people who have that experience and who may have that experience based on different causes or with different things. Um, but that's something that kind of motivates you to address like, all right, so now I realized there's a vast expanse of time and space. And then there's this little conscious thing that is myself. And I have a specific amount of time, even though I don't know how much time I have, or what that time is, or what it means, or even if it's this particular experience intersects and interacts with other experiences, or if it's just this one little unit, or, uh, you know, if there's past lives, or if there's recycled energy, or if there's whatever, like, there's all kinds of things people can think about, and some people hold on to, I, I never had that sense of certainty of, of a religion or a system of beliefs that would give me answers to why that feeling existed. You know, my, my mother was Catholic who was not Catholic and my father is um, Jewish who was not particularly Jewish other than the fact that, you know, there's that ethnic uh, familial connection and the same thing with my Catholics out of my family. Um, you know, both of my parents were kind of agnostic about the organized religions that they grew up in for the classic philosophical and sociopolitical reasons and or uh, I think my father was more on the philosophical side and, and my mother was more on the sociopolitical side but either way there was not they did not see religion as having the answers to the questions of life um, while other people might and that's totally fine I think and I have met um, you know rabbis and I've priests and pastors and monks and cardinals and um, all kinds of religious yogis and all kinds of religious figures who recognize that the symbols and the systems of their religion give them an answer, but it's the connection, the emotional connection to those symbols and system that they find that lie underneath it that other people may not connect with for whatever reason that give meaning and value to their lives. And then there are other people who hold on to those things quite literally and may actually be suffering because of that and so the way that a person interacts with their religion whether it's a chosen religion or some other form of religious experience is going to determine the way they live their lives and how much meaning and, and what they can do with their lives on the as a phenomena so obviously i wasn't thinking all this at five or six i was feeling things and thinking things and scared and i didn't really I'm a pretty, I don't think this podcast is a great represent, representation of that, but as a young child, I was a very private kid. I was very independent. I liked my freedom and I didn't talk about too many things that were going on internally. So I just kind of sat with it. And that was what really motivated me to to search for meanings of a good life and what to do about how to accomplish uh, the feat of finding light or making light in a vast space. So that's the story for today uh, about me. The takeaways from that story are basically there are people who may not ever confront that feeling, which is great, fine. They can still live good lives. And then there are people that may confront that feeling at, from time to time. Um, and it can be from various different causes. Mine happened to be kind of a philosophical, metaphysical consideration. And others may be, you know, kind of very tactile specific moments you know doesn't matter people will be looking for things and i think that having studied kind of comparative religion and philosophy most people will have questions 
I'm not going to ask, I don't know about most, a lot of people, a significant number of people, enough, enough people to have had a lifetime already full of conversations about these questions will have this experience about what is it that I'm doing here? What's going on? What can I do to accomplish um, whatever it is that has now become a driving factor in my life? And then there are some people who, and I've spoken to those as well, who are just like, yeah, I just have, you know, live my life. I have my practices. You know, some of the people I've talked to are exceedingly wealthy and they just seek out, they don't think about it. Just like you bring up the questions like, eh, it's better not to think about that. Let's go, uh, you know, eat some tasty food or fulfill that kind of underlying fear with distractions of different kinds of pleasure or business opportunities or self-indulgence or whatever. And that's one response people can have. I'm, I'm not capable of that. I've learned that about myself. I cannot ignore things that are troubling me. And so this has been troubling me for a long time. And and so I've been trying to address it and I have found some answers that I think are, um, you know, not definite. This will work for everybody answers, but kind of ways forwards or thinking about what it means to, to, to live a good life within, you know, the flexibility of having various belief structures. So that's, that's the story. Now, as a pause for that story, I want to talk about a couple of things. So one is the way in which we think about life or we think about things like consciousness or ourselves or identity, the approaches we take are going to really determine what kind of conclusions we're going to make. You know, we can look at things like mathematics in a very discrete way of like, all right, so, you know, here's the way to think about um, life as you, you were born you have this many seconds, you have this many minutes, you have this many hours to do what you want with it. And, and then that's it. Or you can think about life in terms of phenomena, which is what we're going to be talking about. So we're going to use in this podcast, I'm going to use an approach that's called pragmatic phenomenology to think about the lived experience of a good life in a practical, pragmatic way. For those of you who may be a little bit more nerdy, like I am. Term pragmatic phenomenology actually comes from two philosophical traditions, pragmatism and phenomenology. So phenomenology is something that uh, actually kind of started in, in old school Germany um, with philosophers like Husserl, uh, Heidegger, Sartre, uh, Merleau-Ponty, and other French and German white guys. These white dudes, um, I've read most of them, got some interesting ideas, really kind of it's, um, you know, their, their thinking was really about the study of consciousness. And instead of going from the like, uh, Descartes, who many of you may have heard about in introductory philosophy or history uh, texts in secondary school or university, or, you know, high school or college, if you're in the US, the Descartes, I think, therefore I am, is replaced with I am conscious of the experience of thinking, therefore I exist. And so that's what we're trying to do here is we're trying to become deep, more deeply aware of all of the ways of feeling, the ways of experiencing, the ways of acting, the ways of thinking, and how all of that comes to affect us and our decisions to then create good lives for ourselves. Pragmatism is 
you know, in the history, like people think they're kind of phenomenology and pragmatism are kind of parallel and they don't interact, but they actually do interact in a lot of ways and they have a lot of similarities. But pragmatism started in the U.S. with Charles Sanders Peirce, uh, William James, John Dewey, Jane Addams, George Herbert Mead, and W.E.B. Du Bois, as well as Alan Locke. So this is a kind of, let's just say it's a little bit more of a uh, diverse group of people and ways of thinking. Um, Jane Addams was a, um, a philosopher. She founded social work, created the whole house, won, was one of the first women to win the Nobel Peace Prize if she wasn't the first. W.B. Du Bois is, is one of the most famous uh, early Black philosophers. And Alain Locke is um, another Black philosopher and, and civil rights activist who, who's done a lot of really important work on how to think about how experiences affect us in our totality. Um, John Dewey is a very famous educational philosopher. William James was kind of a, so a psychologist. And uh, Peirce was a combination mathematician, biologist, philosopher. So both of these groups of people share a similar focus, which is to learn and understand experience, consciousness, and action. They do it from slightly different perspectives. So the American or the pragmatic approach is that we are, and this is my interpretation of it, there will be philosophers who may disagree with this, but the way that um, kind of Peirce and James and Dewey really started to, to found the pragmatic movement was to think about how we are born in uh, a dependent, interconnected state of experiences. So instead of trying to think of us as like this unit that is kind of separate from everybody else, we were born from two parents. You know, whether you remember it or not, you've seen birth being given, you understand that in order for um, you to be created to connecting uh, entities need to do an action to then create your existence. In our developing, even from the youngest age, most of the learning that we do happens from kind of intentional or semi-intentional instinctual trial and error. So we learn that a hot thing is hot by touching it. And we learn that much faster than we would if somebody kept telling us that touching that would not be good for you. So hopefully when you learn that something is hot and that doesn't feel good, it's not with a severe burn, but with something that's mildly hot that you can then realize that other things that feel that way could hurt you. And so they created a whole system of human development, really, about this way of what's called abductive logic of kind of an intentional and thoughtful trial and error of learning from experience. And so John Dewey is very famous for saying that we don't learn from books and reading. We learn from experience and reflection upon that experience. So you can experience reading a book, but if you aren't reflecting upon your experience reading that book, you may not learn what that book says. Also, it means that embodied experiences are much more educationally rich than um, kind of disembodied experiences because of the whole body and being is experiencing something and then reflecting upon it, it's much likely, much more likely to remember the deep lessons within it. So that's part of it. Phenomenology is, uh, according to Herschel, is the study of consciousness. It's not the study of psychology. It's not the study of um, 
you know, human traits or anything like that. It's actually looking at how to get to uh, what he, you can translate to be uh, the essences of facets of consciousness. So when we talk about, for example, uh, somebody who is constantly, let's say, I don't know, um, somebody who's constantly looking at themselves in the mirror or constantly, you know, kind of vain. If you look at the essence of that, and there could be a few of them, but one of the ways that uh, Herschel talks about this is this hier hierarchy of different uh, essences. So one way to look at, at the um, somebody who is constantly worried about how they look or their vanity is that they're looking for social approval. Another way to do that a little bit higher is that they are looking for um, the positive feeling that goes along with social approval, whether they've internalized that to just be about themselves, wanting to look pretty for themselves or look good for themselves, or if it's about um, looking for specific social approval. If you get it a little bit higher, another layer of essence would be for a feeling of self-worth um, attached to all of the constructs that would run below that, which are this feeling of uh, approval or uh, or that can kind of boil down to looking a certain way that is seen as desirable. And we can think about that in terms of lots of different ways in terms of human activity. So as, as you think about, okay, why is it that we play sports, for example? Sports are another way to, so there could be a lot of different ways to think about what sports are. One could be for kind of the same phenomenological experience of feeling of some kind of worth by being good at something. Another thing could be for the pure joy of movement. Um, the same thing can be true about aesthetics. So it could just be that somebody is incredibly aesthetically oriented in their phenomenological experience of aesthetics is, you know, they get the same feeling when they look at a beautiful painting as they do when they look at themselves in the way that they want to see themselves. That's possible. So it's not like there's one way to go about this. There's different Kind of branches of thinking about a given experience in phenomenology but there are there are ways of thinking about our experiences that by going deeper into the underlying mechanisms you actually go higher into the uh, categories of what that experience represents to human consciousness in and of itself so you know different fulfilling activities you know sports can be a very fulfilling activity for a variety of reasons but it can also be a very stressful and unpleasant activity for other people at the same time. So, you know, people who play sports without worrying about, um, you know, trying to become a professional or who are playing it just for the joy of movement, that's one way of doing sports. Other people may be playing sports because there's some kind of economic or external reward that is tied to that. Some people may be playing sports because of a deep competitive drive and they want to win, which is then tied to, again, that sense of self-worth in competition with others. So this is the kind of thinking that um, a lot of phenomenal, phenomenologists engage in when they are talking about and thinking about human consciousness. The examples I gave are much more mundane than usually what other people talk about, but 
uh, hopefully that is clear enough. So I'm going to use this concept of pragmatic phenomenology to understand how we might live good lives and what makes a good life. And that's really how we're going to start. And we're going to delve into some kinds of analysis about some of these things. You know, one of my personal kind of favorites is that for me, I have had the opportunity to engage in a lot of different social worlds. Uh, I'm, I'm a white guy who was born in a kind of work, upwardly mobile working class family in a, in a Rust Belt city in the United States and who's been able to travel around to a lot of different spaces because of I'm a white guy and but I'm multi-ethnic and I and I have been able to quote unquote pass in a lot of different countries and and I have had the educational experiences to I was able to maneuver between all of these worlds and so I got to observe and see all these different ways people are doing and living life and one of my kind of conclusions that I made at a pretty early age too was that there are people who live without a lot of depth in their experiences like they just hop from experience to experience and and people live that way and it's just kind of like there's and there's no other consideration and that's what I learned that there are people who don't think about things deeper than that and my bias is that that's not enough for me at least because I tried it you know when you're a teenager you try to do these things so it's like all right I'm going to try to be really good at the sport I'm going to try to do all these things that people tell you to do but it didn't feel fulfilling felt empty even though when I looked at things deeper but doing the same activities it didn't feel empty anymore it actually felt fulfilling so there's a there's an internal work an internal orientation that matters in terms of a good life that's hard to discern but in conversation it's usually easy to, easier to get it to kind of bring it out with people and and so we'll talk a little bit about that all right so the work that um all of this is trying to bring about is to identify these phenomena within ourselves about what a good life is. And like I said before, I'm going to try to be discerning, not judgmental in that negative connotation way to understand those components. So one of those components based on this conversation that we were just, that I was just having to nobody right now, but maybe somebody will be listening to this in the future is that there's some kind of depth or meaning or something beyond just the self of the single experience that will make a life somehow better. Those experiences themselves are not good or bad in and of themselves, but if there's a meaning or connection to something greater than just that experience, it can be much more fulfilling and much more meaningful. Um, and instead of hopping from kind of distracting meaningless experience to distracting meaningless experience, which some people do, the people who I've seen who inhabit more uh, well-being and resilience and uh, kind of characteristics, personal uh, characteristics that I find to be very inspiring, they usually have that depth. And so we're going to try to get to that depth as well in this conversation. There are people who think that kind of our goals, and I forget the name of this philosopher, he's not even a philosopher, the popular uh, academic who talks about the search for peak experiences as the meaning of life. And we can talk about that too, because there are people who are, you know, known as adrenaline junkies or people who are at the search for these peak experiences where you have this moment and there's these existentialist philosophers who talk about these moments of, you know, maybe peak experiences or flow or whatever. And those exist. And I think that they are very um, meaningful. You know, I've definitely had a few of them. 
but if they are just these moments and then you're back to what you were doing before and there's no deeper connection then i don't see that as a meaningful enough but it is a component so it's not like you should avoid those things because those things are great um it's just how do you inter in integrate them into the rest of that life that is supposed to be good because um the people who live for those things become kind of like addicts and are very uh difficult to be around and or are um suffering inside themselves and they've you know i've had friends who've admitted that to me that it's like you know you just kind of get addicted and everything else is really dull and then you do these things and it's like once or twice a day or whatever because you got to make a living and that just doesn't seem right so that's one in terms of one conclusion um and so that's going to be part of this is just that kind of the meaning and and you know there's a philosopher named victor frankel who's who wrote this book that has been you know a pretty big book in psychological uh circles it's called man and his search for meaning and he was a, a survivor of the holocaust and and talked about how much our psyche um and perhaps our consciousness and our experience needs to have greater meaning in order for our biological selves to actually survive in very difficult spaces um you know his his kind of key observation was that the people who could find and create meaning in the lives in their lives even in spaces like um you know concentration camps were the ones who were able to pull through and so there's something core to our nature as humans from a kind of phenomenological or pragmatic perspective that needs a meaning to function on a holistic level um so that's where we're going to start we're going to start with meaning we're going to start with um thinking about this from that kind of perspective what do we get with meaning and our various experiences in life that can lead to a good life and how do we orient ourselves around that um to look at things like uh happiness pleasure flourishing uh, things like ethics or wisdom or virtue or freedom reason and logic characters uh fun travel um you know being a you know somebody who's got different skills you know as a carpenter or as an artist or things like that uh wealth health and well-being um you know love spiritual enlightenment mastery of something self-knowledge uh good friends social relationships food uh, lifestyle um things like uh contributing to something new or winning or power or domination or victory or glory or um, the continuance of the species or uh, learning from mistakes or attitudes, you know, what are all these things that go into what makes a good life? And um, next episode, I'm going to do a little bit of bad internet research about what people say makes a good life because I think that's a good place to start after this introduction, which is really about how are we going to think about this? So to conclude, we're going to think about this in terms of what's called pragmatic phenomenology. So looking at our experiences as people who are dependent on uh, the world to exist, like we cannot exist without oxygen to breathe, water to drink, uh, the people who've created us. So we are dependent creatures. And we have experiences based on that dependency. 
we are not kind of floating above and beyond the day-to-day -day machinations of the world. And, and that is really important to think about. Um, and then two, in terms of phenomenology, the study of consciousness in terms of getting to both the kind of uh, higher understandings of what a phenomena actually means for a consciousness, as well as digging deeply into what uh, our consciousness constructs, creates, and how it does that. Um, and we'll do that via stories, we'll do that via research, and we will talk about it and kind of what it means in today's world. So hope you stay tuned for our next episode, which will be bad internet research on what makes a good life.